Yeah, welcome to the Far Post Perth podcast. It's been a long time coming, but uh, considering all that is happening in Australian football, it was only right that we got into this particular issue. It is, of course, all surrounding the decision from the A-Leagues and the APL to send the grand final to Sydney for the next three years. It certainly came as a shock to many of us on Monday morning when the news started to filter through Sunday evening, Monday morning. And uh, yeah, we all woke up, particularly on the on the west coast of, of the country, wondering what had hit us. Um, it's a little bit unfortunate, of course, much has been said about the goodwill that's been in Australian football, considering um, the uh, phenomenal efforts over there at the World Cup. And uh, yeah, uh, much to be said about the timing of this, um, I guess the way that it rolled out and the, the subsequent uh, PR uh, disaster that it has been for the last uh, four or five days. Uh, let's welcome Neil Sherwin into the conversation. Uh, Neil, how are you feeling about it all at the moment, mate? Um, probably jaded, I think, is the is the right word. It's been a long few days and a lot of information to process and dissect and try to come up with some conclusions from um, from the uh, damn lies and statistics that we've been fed since uh, the story broke. So, yeah, I think we've, we've gotten two sides of the story and the truth is somewhere in the middle um, and that's obviously something we would like from the outset because I think the uh, the disingenuous nature of the initial announcement is what's irked people the most. Um, we are of course recording this on Friday evening. Uh, the game between Newcastle and Brisbane has just kicked off. Uh, we did start to see some movement around the 20 minute mark in the Newcastle active bay, although it doesn't seem to be a big crowd there so I'm wondering what kind of commotion that's actually going to cause. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a little bit of movement from what we could see when the camera was panning up that way. Uh, we're going to welcome uh, Donna Jeffrey as well. Donna, how are you going? Good, thanks guys. How are you? Yeah, very good. Uh, everything considered. Um, w- what are your thoughts at, at, at this time? I'm a little bit torn in the fact that I I completely get it and I hate this decision. However, I'm, I look on the other side of the fence and I'm just thinking of you know all these walkouts and everything, how it's affecting the players and then, um, their mental health and everything that goes with it. Um, and I know that people are saying, well, if there's no fans there, their wages won't get paid anyway. So they, you know, they can't sit on the, on the third lines like that. So I can, I'm, yeah, I'm, I hate the idea. Um, I wish it was, you know, we're going to trial in Sydney and then someone will bid the following year, a bit like, um, the Super Bowl every year goes to a different city mm. or whatever. So I was kind of hoping that was the road that it was going down. But then once I read it flocked in for three years in New South Wales, um, and then listening to Townsend say, you know, um, Sydney has the, the biggest supporter bases and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to myself, mate. <laughs> You've shot yourself in the foot because we all know that Sydney is, you know, he dies for Sydney, he bleeds Sydney. So it's kind of, um, yeah, 
it tears you there and then. I just feel for the players. I think that's where my my head is at the moment. I just feel how this is going to impact them in the long run. I think disingenuous is a good word to use, Neil. I think that's the way that it's played out because the reasons and the motivations behind it, it feels like the goalpost is changing to just to try and suit the narrative and try and get people back on side with it after it all kicked off, essentially. Um, I, I smell the rat straight away, to be honest, because the um, the idea of uh, going for three years to New South Wales um, as it transpires is money-driven, which is fine, but the way it was pitched initially was about building a tradition. Like Wembley, where the FA Cup final is held every year, or let's let's mimic AFL and have you know our own MCG, whatever it may be, but if that's the case, you make the decision to host every grand final ever in Sydney. You don't just sign up for an initial three years. And Danny Townsend later admitted that they were offered a longer deal, but accepted three years and it would be reviewed. And if it was a higher bidder uh, in, in three years time, they would certainly consider that and look to move it. So you could have it moved to Melbourne, for example, in three years or, you know, if Mark McGowan decided or whoever's in power at the time decided to stump up the money, maybe we get three grand finals in a row up the stadium. But that's not a tradition. That's a money grab. So I think that the whole thing, and I've gone back and looked at the article on Keep Up from when it was initially announced, and the first word in bold on, this, on, the, uh, on the article is tradition. That's the first thing that they lead with. Um, they talk about it being locked in for three years, talk about the, the mirroring, what happens at Wembley, all of that kind of stuff. And ultimately, it's bollocks. Um, you know, so it, it is to do with money. So I think fans don't appreciate being lied to, taken for mugs, um, and, and treated as, as pawns in, a, in something a bit bigger. So if the A-League is cash-strapped and needs money, I get that. But we're talking a reported $12 million over three years. That's really not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, they must be really desperate, and and you know, there's probably valid reasons for that, and we do need the league to survive. But don't treat your fans like mugs because they certainly aren't. We've seen it before with the fan protests in previous years when there was the name and shame around uh, banned active supporters and, and what that led to. Uh, it led to a standoff, and ultimately the the fans won. And you know, they might not win in the short term here, but I think long term, uh, the, the fans will emerge the winners. Mm. It certainly feels like that at the moment. Um, feels like a bit of a Mexican standoff that obviously they're doubling down later in the week and the fans are going, well, we're not going anywhere. We're uh, we, we're going to hold tight as well. So um, it is a little bit interesting. We're going to hear from uh, a few of the fans and a prominent one in just a few minutes' time. We're going to be joined by David Winkless, who's the president of the Glory Shed Supporters Club. We only thought it would be right um, to try and get that angle as well. Uh, we have heard from the players. We've heard from a few players. There's been plenty come out on social media and there's been plenty uh, come out through this next man. Craig Goodwin was asked to, I guess, um, jump in a video um, and uh, I guess talk about the grand final, but I'm not sure he really knew what he was in for. Here is uh, Craig Goodwin explaining his uh, role in this whole thing and how he saw it uh, thanks to Channel 10. For, for me, I believe that the fans and, and the passion and the atmosphere is the one thing that football has over every other code in Australia. And, you know, I think you've seen from the um, live sites around the country with the, the Socceroos games and the atmosphere they provided the fans during that, the atmosphere provided in every grand final that you've seen, the, the, the crowd and, and the intensity and the noise and the passion that's on show and the spectacle that it is, it's made every single grand final memorable. So um, I think it's important 
important for fans um, to have that. But, you know, unfortunately this decision's been made and, you know, uh, only time will tell us to, to how it will go and, and to what we can do. Um, yeah, look, to be honest, when um, they were doing the filming, there was two questions um, that I was asked. One of them I refused to answer and the other question um, was about what grand finals um, can do for Australian players. What what impact can it have for Australian players and why is it important? Um, the question was, why do you support this initiative? by the APL and the DNSW. I didn't want to answer the question because as I voiced my opinion on social media, I don't, I didn't support it um, and I believe um, that it's not in the best interest of the fans. I do feel that it real, will affect um, the atmosphere at the grand finals. If you get perhaps, say, us against victory and then we'll have maybe 10,000 going to support. Um, victory might get a little bit more and then there's a bunch of neutrals in the stand that won't create the same atmosphere and the same passion as what we've seen at every grand final to date. Yeah, a couple of good points well made, Donna. And uh, you mentioned, I guess, the players and I guess where they're coming from on all this. Some players have come out and they've just, I guess, held the held the tight line. Matthew Leckie says, look, I'm here to play football. I'm, I'm not really interested in getting involved with it. That was the sentiment through Matt Leckie. Uh, Craig Goodwin, however, has been very, very vocal about this and it almost feels like he's been hung out to dry because it was quite to use that word again ingenuous the way that he was used in that video yeah i'm wondering i'm i'm sure one of you might know the answer but i'm wondering when this was actually filmed um this whole video and craig was asked these questions was it pre-world cup or po- like was it done recently i'm quite um you know he's obviously a hero here in australia now after the world cup and He's such a nice guy and he's come out and said what he really thinks. But then, as you said, on the flip side, Lecky, who, look, I think um, his club have told him not to talk. I think he's been um, rehearsed in what to say and what not to say. And I'm sure a lot of players are going to be of that stance. Um, Funnily enough, I saw um, a couple of players today and one of them said to me, um, I just hope that the people that are kicking up a stink on social media, and not that he didn't support them, but I hope they're the ones that actually, you know, are members and you know, actually support their clubs. They're not just jumping on a bandwagon and trying to cause an uproar for no reason and that, the, you know, that there's a real genuine belief behind what's going on. Um, but, and then you've got on the flip side, some players that are very vocal normally. And I don't know if I've seen anything, but Jamison on Twitter, as he is normally high on their commenting. And I don't think I've seen anything unless you guys have um, in the last couple of days that he's come out and said anything, but it's, um, I'd love to hear from, you know, the people like Ernie Merrick or Ange Postecoglou who've been around our game for years or, or Musket to think of what they would actually think about this um, this change and what their stance would be. I just want to go back on this tradition thing. Um, and it's really, really ironic that Danny Townsend played in a grand final in the NSL that had the tradition of um, of the yeah. first, first, I guess, the highest ranked team making the grand final. Now, I did a bit of research on this. So in 1977, of course, the NSL started. It was the first uh, legitimate national competition, if you like. It was the first one to cross boundaries compared to the New South Wales Rugby League or the, the VFL at, as it was at the time. The first grand final um, in 1983 until 1988, those first few were held over two legs. So since 1988, this is been the system so that's been our tradition essentially so I just wanted to throw that in there when it all comes to this tradition and obviously those terrible comments from Danny Townsend saying the game's only 18 years old which is just insulting to former NSL clubs and mm-hmm. all the people that go back and were playing football back in the 
God knows when, late 1800s and think, things like that. So I just thought that was a little bit, um, yeah, a little, just ignorant really. Yeah. Hey, let's and welcome. Uh, let's... Danny's interview, sorry, yeah. just quickly on Danny's interview. The one thing that pissed me off the most is put everything aside. He, he said we're running on emotion. Fans are being emotional at the moment. It's an emotional, you know, the sentiment and the statements and everything that's going on and eventually – well, basically, you know, he couldn't put it this way, but basically we'll all get over it eventually mm. uh, because we'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I just think that was a really poor choice of words. And it was just, yeah, we're not right. Yes, people are emotional, but also you've got to see the flip side of how it's affecting affecting the game here. Well, let's so ask. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, let's ask the fans <laughs> if they are emotional. We've got David Winkler, as mentioned. He is the president of the Glory Shed Supporters Club. Uh, Dave, how you going, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Blaine. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no worries at all, um, mate. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, you've you've probably been running around and uh, obviously gathering the troops and been fielding questions and trying to work out what's happening on the other side of the country and, and deal with the rest of your life, mate. How's things on this Friday? Um, frustrated. Look, um, I think I'm like I'm at the moment more frustrated with the fact we just come off the back of a really successful World Cup campaign, and everyone was really hopeful that the A League could pick up some of that success, and they could like you know try and get more fans going to games, get more people attending the men's and women's games, and then all of a sudden we had the news drop on Monday that no one was expecting, and it's just you know like it's pushed the game back. It seems. It's what's well, just a. I think that there's so many. It's so multifaceted, and we're going to go through some of these bigger issues in just a quick second. But the the one that screams to me once you mention the World Cup there is is the timing. The timing's abhorrent at the moment. We're riding this high, and you want to just come out and just whack the whack the fans with this and something that I tell you what you, you mustn't be reading the room great at all and know too much about your constituents if you are going to drop this during a World Cup and I guess, you know, not not aware that, that the fans are going to be kicking off to some degree. Blaine, just, to, just on that point, not only to drop it during the World Cup, but to drop it during the season because sure. um, yep. irrespective of, of whether it's a long-term decision, this actually changes the dynamic of the league and how teams might approach a final series, for example. You know, if, if, um, I think I made this point to you the other day that if, uh, if Sydney FC are sitting in fourth place and have no chance of finishing top, but they know that the grand final is going to be played in their backyard. Um, they can change the way that they approach those last few games. They don't necessarily need to finish high up the ladder to get a home grand final. Mm. They can just rest their players, get themselves prepared for finals. And that's something that's come in mid-season. When, in what league do they change this sort of stuff in the middle of a campaign? It's, it's, uh, it, it, that, to me, is, is crazy. If, they're going, if you're going to bring it in, surely this season remains the same, and then you bring it in in the, in the off-season for beginning in 2324 uh, has the I just want to ask this and uh, really just playing devil's advocate has the reaction been balanced compared to I guess the decision or is it has there been somewhat of an overreach in any way shape or form I just really just trying to get some balance with the reaction compared to the decision uh, has there been an overreaction from the fans to some degree anyone yeah I don't know um, I <laughs> 
yes, in, uh, you know, a little bit. I think some of the stuff that I'm seeing on social media, so overreaction, not to the decision. No, I 100% agree with the fans. However, on the flip side, my part of the overreaction is the way some people are approaching things and the way the, the, shit, the disgusting stuff I'm seeing on social media, sure. the threats and all that crap towards Danny Townsend and the APL group and the chairmans and Sagey and the players who don't stand by them. Some of it is, it's, you know, it's pretty poor, piss poor. I can understand and I understand that part of it because I'm, I'm 100% behind you. On the other side of it, I don't agree with how a lot of people are dealing with it on a public forum. Some players are getting messages saying, why aren't you speaking up for us? You're a coward. You're a punk. You're an ass. Mm. Like, you know, some of the shit I've heard and seen, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I think there's a way to approach it. Um, so in that respect, yes. But yeah. Neil, did you want to? Uh, I, I don't think there's an overreaction in the slightest because this is a case of once bitten, twice shy. It might be slightly different in the sense that we're now dealing with the APL as opposed to FFA. There may be different people in charge. But this is not the first time the fans have played second fiddle and, and not being consulted uh, in big decisions that impact the game. We're, fans are a stakeholder, irrespective of, of not actually being owners. They, they're the people that put the money into the game. And it's the, it's the age-old adage, and it's been repeated ad nauseum this week, that if there's no fans, there's no football. Mm. The players have come out and said it. The coaches have said it. Everything else. So what, I, I still haven't heard or seen from anybody who was part of one of these focus groups that Danny Townsend insists took place uh, while this decision was in play. Uh, and who are the people? Who was involved? Who was, was it, you know, his friends in the Cove, maybe? I don't know. But this isn't something that was run by everybody. So naturally, they're going to feel put out if they don't get a say in how the game is, is run or operated. And that's something that people should have learned from a long time ago. You may still reach the, the, uh, the same decision, conclusion, and that's, you know, it, it comes down to money. But you have to give the fans the opportunity to have their say and, and to go public with it rather than just dropping it in an announcement. The way the PR uh, uh, management of it has been a disgrace and it's mm. a real amateur hour approach to it. And I fully support the backlash at the powers that be um, for the way they've handled it because it's wrong and, and um, completely completely justified for people to be annoyed by that. Um, in terms of threats, yeah, of course. You know, we're not, that's, that's not a road anybody should go down um, at all. And I don't condone any, anything of the sort. I absolutely condone people voting with their feet. If the, if the uh, APL wants to treat people like customers when it comes to how much they charge for tickets, uh, Danny Townsend talking about how we can have affordable packages for people to travel to games, they see us as customers, right? Mm. So if they're going to see us as customers, let's act like customers. Vote your feet, leave the stadium if that's what you want to do. I completely understand as well if people don't want to do that. They want to stay and support the team and support the lads. But I think the players will get over it pretty quickly. Um, it, they won't be the first group of A-League players to play in front of nobody. So, you know, <laughs> these things happen. Um, but I do think that it, 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 you need to make a stand early and it needs to be a um, it needs to be a united front. If you're going to make a point and you're going to get in the back pages in newspapers, you know how hard it is for us to get coverage at the best of times. If you're going to get your name out there, Everybody needs to do it, and the Melbourne Derby will probably be the biggest showing of it with, the, with what they, with the victory fans in particular, have planned. So yeah, I'm 100% behind it. 
Um, don't treat people, don't treat your customers like shit and, and expect to get away with it, basically. And that's what they've done here, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I'm, I'm a football fan for a long, long time. And uh, I think that um, they're the most important stakeholders in, in the whole thing. And yet here in Australia, we seem to treat them at the bottom of the pile. Uh, Dave, feel free to jump in at any time, mate. But I just want to ask, what's the reaction been through you and the guys, through whether it's the Glory Shed Supporters Club, whether it's your dealings with the other supporters groups at Glory, or, or maybe some of the interaction that you've had with some of the other supporter groups from the rest of the league? We haven't really had too much dealings with any of the other supporter groups as yet. Mainly it's been with our other supporter groups here in Perth, so um, Glory Fans United and Shed End. So, like, before we um, announced what we were going to do, we wanted to make sure that the other groups were doing something similar so that it was all Glory supporter active fan bases on the same page and like that was like for us one of the reasons that we decided to walk out was because we wanted to show solidarity with all the other active groups around Australia that were also taking this same course of action to voice their um, displeasure about the decision you know as Neil said the APL are pretty much treating us as customers so, like, you know, we're not happy, so we're making a stand. Well, this is uh, this is going to lead me into a, a bit of a conversation that I've been having and something that I've been advocating for before because, uh, and I remember vividly uh, Danny Townsend using that word customers and I actually pulled him up on it, is that the fact that uh, I, I believe that fans are customers, are more than customers, not by the true maybe definition of the word and that just comes because of the, the model of the league. Essentially, they are private e- entities that basically we support um as far as i can see at the moment uh to give people and outsiders a bit of a look in it's like cheering for mcdonald's over hungry jacks essentially that is what it is you don't get any voting rights you're a customer if you don't like the product they're pushing up they're putting out you go elsewhere it's as simple as that that's the that's the scenario that we're in at the moment uh we're in a bit of a a space at the well as well where it comes to fans not getting heard there is no legitimate form of protest or feedback or anything like that at the moment and uh, feel free whoever wants to jump into this is this something that we really need to look at and is this an opportunity to start looking at more fan input and but legitimate more uh, legitimately uh, more fan input in terms of trying to set up advisory councils maybe uh, representation on boards and the like I just, I will, I'll, I'll start with, with probably a question for, for Dave because um, for me it starts at club level uh, I think that you know if the clubs are interacting with their fans uh, you know I feel they should be doing it every off season mm. what did we do well what could we do better it's the same I work on a lot of projects and you, you always sit back at the end of a project and look towards your next one and say what did we do well what could we have done better what could we improve what look for stakeholder feedback and I guess my question is do glory do that with the with the GFU or the shed end in the off season um, and if not is there any reason why not so at the moment, Neil, um, myself and um, my vice president Shannon, um, like we're actually at the moment um, in the process of trying to reconnect with the club. Um, we've had a few meetings with Anthony, and we are actually trying to improve um, relations between the Glory Shed Supporters Club and. The club itself, I don't know um, what GFU and other glory groups are doing, but certainly we're trying to reconnect and I would certainly like to have that level of dialogue with the club where, like, you know, during the season, at the end of the season, we can go to them with feedback, they can come to us 
with feedback. You know, if there's things happening in the active area that they don't really like, you know, they can come and, you know, like have a chat to us and see if we can sort it out, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the very uh, least, you know, that, that, that if, mm. if you... If, you, if you're dealing with, and again, we go back to this horrible word, but if you're treating fans as customers and you want to com- continue uh, to have them invest in your business, and these are, these are awful terms for, for, what, for the way it is, but that's the reality, um, yeah, you should really find out what your customers want and what they're happy with and what you could maybe change. So it's good that those lines are, are being opened, but you know, it is a bit, dism- a bit of dismay that they haven't been open before this so i think the apl suffers from a similar problem in that they're being reactive now rather than proactive and if they were proactive in the first place this decision may have been the same but i don't think it would have blown up in their faces as much if the supporter groups were on board and were able to explain in clear terms because the reality is the supporters groups have so much influence over the other spectators we see that with some of the stuff that's been put out by the by the groups this week that they're basically making the decision for everybody else and saying, if you don't walk out, you're against us, you know, and you're either with us or against us. Uh, and and if, if the APL wants to be a bit cleverer with how their decisions land, they would ensure that the message coming from these guys is on brand, I suppose, um, but also that it's, it's in terms that everybody can understand and don't lie to us. I think that is the fundamental bottom line for me is is don't, don't lie to your customers because they won't take too kindly for it. And that's why I support the action. Um, I'm not sure how long it will go on for, if it will make any difference, but in terms of this weekend's games and next weekend when some teams get to play at home for the first time since the decision is announced, yeah, I 100% think that's the right course of action. But um, yeah, clubs definitely need to be better with how they how they, how they deal with their fans. I was just going to say, we've seen fan forums before. We've seen, I guess, these yeah. little advisory groups before. And unfortunately, it doesn't get you anywhere. There's a lot of, um, you know, just telling you what you want to hear. There's a lot of lip service and not too much action that ever comes through. And, and that was all, oh, we're hamstrung, we're hamstrung by the stadium. We're hamstrung by the FFA. Yeah. We've got to remember is that they own this yeah. league now, that, the, 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 the clubs own this league. So if they want it to go forward and they want the fans to come with them, they've got to be much more proactive on that space. Uh, Dave, sorry, mate, I jumped in there. Yeah, no, um, so uh, I was just going to say, um, I think for us, um, COVID sort of um, strained the relationship that we had with the club. Because like when I first jumped onto the committee, I know that the president at the time had a real good relationship with the club and with um, Tony Pignata, who was the CEO at the time. And then through COVID, it was obviously really hard to sort of catch up with Tony when he was the CEO because he was working out of Melbourne and, you know, like when he came back to Perth, he was in quarantine. So we, so I know the GSSC has always pretty much had a good relationship with the club. It's now just about, you know, like now we've got a new CEO trying to um, get it back to where it was before COVID hit. Mm. But yeah, but like, I do hope that the protests don't go on for too long because as a supporter, the one thing I want to do is be there supporting the players. But I mean, I guess the ball's yeah. in the the ball's in the court of the of the league now, mm-hmm. with the way it stands. Uh, I'm just going to bring Donner in. What is there any kind of fan communication between Melbourne Victory and the Actives or anything like that that you know of? Is there is there an advisory group yeah, or is there anything that like that? Um, yeah, I believe that they've spoken to members of the board. Um, I'm not sure who it is in particular. Um, certain fans and certain members of. Um, you know, they've been there for quite some time. Um, but 
Dave, I just wanted to ask your opinion just to go off victory for a second because we know that they're going to do it and they've been very vocal from the beginning. But the Brisbane Raw supporter group came out and said that um, they're not going to be walking out from the match, to, um, but they're going to wear black, remain silent for 20 minutes, and they encourage people to bring their own protest posters. They said that walkouts were considered, but they believe their anger will be better seen by being visual at the game. What's your response to that? Because I kind of think I can see the pot. I can see why that would also work. Um, but however, they're going up against the Wanderers. So I'm just keen to hear what your thoughts would be behind that and whether that's something the other supporter groups should be taking it, on board. Is that the men though? I thought that was the, the women's yeah, supporters. The women. Yeah, that's the, the women, women, I think. The women, yeah, yeah. They're doing it at yeah. the women's game. Yeah. Because yeah. Rora Brisbane are away. I suppose it's up to the individual. Like, um, I think both ideas have merit you know like obviously if you're in the stadium but you're not making any noise and you're not wearing your club colors that makes the statement because you're seen on tv but you're not wearing your club's merchandise you're not making any noise you're just standing there but then walking out also has the same effect because if you walk out and the tv cameras pan onto streams of people walking out then, like, you know, that looks bad for the league that there's all these people in club gear and scarves and whatnot, you know, walking out in protest. I just wanted to start moving on. Uh, we'll stay on the fans, but I want to. I just wanted to play you something. And this was Andy Harper this afternoon on SEN over in Sydney, I believe. And just talking about the fan relationship, not only with the league, but the way that football fans have been treated now and in the past and the way that they're viewed, I guess, uh, you know, in society as a whole. There have been some lingering issues in, in the relationship between the, the game and the clubs and its fans. And they've hit a couple of low points over the years. And this is another one of them. And I'll, you know, football fans are passionate, most certainly. They they they, they feel like they've got to defend their sport at every uh, at every corner, um, and they're prepared to do that. Um, uh, and and I think they feel as though that there's no one actually actually representing them. Football people in Australia um, generally feel isolated. They generally feel cut adrift by Australia's major institutions. They generally feel cut adrift by Australia's by large sections of Australia's media. They generally feel as though um, they've been punished for loving football and had hadn't got a lot of support around the place. Um, and then when they feel as though their own have turned on them and not included them in these decisions, the fallout gets particularly vituperous. But, um, but that's just to provide the context. On this particular decision, I don't really know where the league goes now. It was a really, really interesting point because I'm feeling it as well. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted about trying to, you know, defend the game constantly. And, you know, many fans are. We go all the way back to 2015 and saw all the all the walkouts there where people were getting banned and, you know, no right of reply or innocent people were getting banned outright. And we had all of that um, on, all over the, the new co- News Corp media and so on and so forth. Uh, Dave, is there a bit of just, I can't be bothered with this and that's why we are seeing the, the lower crowd and just, uh, you know, people just found something else to do. Uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, based on what I've been seeing on social media the past few days, especially on Twitter, there's a lot of supporters of other clubs on the East Coast that, you know, they put up with all the fan dramas in 2015 and they stuck fat through that and, like, you know, they stuck up for the league, they stuck up for the FFA, they did, um, they defended the sport and now with this latest saga, you know, they just 
feel like it's just another case of the sport not caring about the people that support it. So there's a lot of – I've seen a lot of people on social media that have said that, you know, they're done, they're walking away and they won't come back, which, you know, which is – it's rather sad. I think it's important to notice, Neil, many people are getting, uh, uh, you know, quite, um, I guess, chicken little about the whole thing. But uh, we've got to remember is that football still carries on at grassroots. There's still going to be thousands of kids playing football at a – at a at, you know grassroots level, and you know there's still going to be Sunday leagues and and people getting out and and going to watch football. It's not the end all and be all the A League. It's a, it's probably an important part, but it's it's not all of it. It's it's definitely not all of it, and you know everybody's in the midst of planning for next season, as you say, at grassroots and looking at um, club season starting up and all of that. Absolutely, I'm heavily involved in that side of it myself, but. You, you, you need to have your um, your top league as something for people to aspire to because ultimately it's the, it is the highest standard of football in in the country um, irrespective of whether people agree with that in the term you know the whole promotion relegation second tier all that kind of stuff is in their day's work but you do need a strong A-League and we've seen that I suppose a bit with the, with the Socceroos at the World Cup how many players came through this system and we need the standards to be higher because the, the standard of the A-League is still not where it needs to be to compete with even in Asia for example so um, yeah, this is this is a backward step. If it puts anybody off supporting the A League, it's a bad thing mm. um, for me. Uh, we, we 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 don't want to be going in this direction. So th- this is this is uh, it's one step forward, two steps back, I suppose, for me in the in the last few weeks with all the hype at the fan sites for the Socceroos and encouraging people. You know, you they've got Matt Lecky scored. He plays in the A League. Go watch him play. You know, but then it's a couple of weeks later. It's like, no, well, we're giving you a good reason not to go watch Matt mm. Matt Lecky play. So, so it's you know it's it's like that's I think people feel like they're pissing into the wind at times, um, and there's just a bit of we're a bit jaded as uh, as supporters and people that support the game, right? Like we we do this conversation, the promotion that we do, not looking for a pat on the back, but we do it for free. We do it in our spare time to try to promote the league to grow the game. Um, you know, we don't attend press conferences for glory and go go to stuff after games and before games and interview players and all that. We don't get paid for that. We do it for free because we want to promote the club and the game. And this is how the APL responds to not just fans, but people who are in in a lucky position to be able to, you know, do the, attend these events. And I so, said, well, why are we even bothering? So if, if this is the case. So I'm a bit disappointed. Um yeah, and I think that's that's something that we've probably all gotten used to over over the years. And um, I was really disappointed with the line that people are just emotional. I don't think people are are are, are, are um, I don't think emotion is necessarily a bad thing. That's the nature mm. of football, and that's part of the reason why we love it. But a lot of this is based on experience as well. We've been here before. We know what the powers that they are like, and uh, and here we are again, um, a few years later. So, yeah, really, really disappointing, but. We go again. Um, I do want to interject a little bit yeah, go. with the running order because you haven't, because uh, we, we never mentioned it earlier, but we did get some Twitter comments. Cause yeah, asked for yeah some let's go. And um, so I'll just fire off a couple here. Uh, Donna, I'm going to bring you back to, uh, to victory because I know you tried to deflect and move on from that earlier, <laughs> earlier but I have one, one question coming in. Um, why did the Melbourne Victory oh, chairman just... vote in favour of the decision? But then resign from the APL board and continue his role with Victory. Is that is that to remove a conflict of interest, or what? What is the reasoning behind Anthony Di Pietro? Um, first of all, voting for it, then go, rowing back on it, and still being involved. 
Yeah, I was trying to avoid this um, conversation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I have put it out there, and many people have. I um, would love Anthony to come out and clarify this because many, many people have been told that he actually wasn't present at the initial meeting where the unanimous vote happened. Um, I don't again don't know how hundred percent true. That is, but I'm not the first person to say it. I um, have also been told this and many people have put it out there as well. So if that is the case, then I have no issue in him voting against it and resigning from the board. However, um, I think also on the flip side, if he did vote for it in the first instance and now has changed his mind, I also see nothing wrong with that either. Um, People are allowed to do that. He's obviously seen the backlash that's happened. He's gone, okay, I can't be on this board and support this decision if it's not in the best interest of my club. And he obviously has seen the light in that. Um, And I can see why people are pissed off. And, of course, um, everyone comes out and victory is the first one on their mind because he's gone and resigned and done whatever he's done. Um, but yes, so I'd like I'd like some clarification. Was he there? Because if he was, then we need further insights to why he's changed his mind. Is it just because of the backlash and he doesn't look like an asshole and doesn't look like a sellout, or was he not there and this has always been his stance all along? So um, once I know that, then I, I think people have a bit more clear way moving forward with his decision. And to be fair, he's you know resigning is probably the best thing he could have done because if he doesn't believe in it and doesn't think that that's the right way moving forward, then why should he be on that board while they're, you know, moving in this path and he doesn't support it? It's a detriment to the club. And I, I will just say, um, I think um, he should be the only one in the firing line. I think Chris Fong from Brisbane has had a stinker with the way he's uh, he's gone about his business and then the way he's spoken <laughs> to supporters in a couple of different letters and um, some, of the, some of the stuff he put out originally compared to what he's putting out there now and the, the letters are there for all to see online. Uh, he needs to get, get his act together. But as you say, this isn't this isn't a surprise. Um, a couple of comments just around the glory side of things. So, uh, particularly around Tony Sage, and I think if um, a cheeky little plug for Blaine's radio show, I think Anthony Radish uh, had a listener earlier on was on today. And he did explain a little bit about how Glory's involvement came about. Um, one thing that I was that set off alarm bells for me is that he said that the decision was ratified before he was contacted in his mm. position as Glory CEO for feedback. That to me is scandalous and, and completely wrong, irrespective of whether Glory have a representative on the APL board and they didn't, which is why Tony Sage didn't get a vote initially. Um, the least, if, you, if you're not going to run things past your fans, the least you can do is make sure that all 12 clubs are engaged before you make a decision that's going to completely cause a shitstorm. So that's what uh, Anthony Radish said. He was very forthright and said he still doesn't agree with it, doesn't like it, and it's not what, what Glory wanted. Um, but the comments we had uh, around here, I'll read them out. Did, did Glory and Sage support the APL board's original decision? The answer to that is no. We, that's what we've been, we've been told by Sage and Radich. Did he have prior knowledge of the decision? I think they had prior knowledge that something was happening, um, but they didn't know that the decision was going to be made and publicized when it was. So they were blindsided in that regard. Did he vote in Tuesday's APL club chairs meeting? Um, I, was that, I mean, I, 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 we don't know that because there's rumors around how many votes were for and against in that meeting. Some people saying it was 10 and, 10 and 1 or something in, in, that, in, in that vote. And um, what was his vote during Thursday's chairs meeting? Well, we don't know that either uh, because we weren't there. And the last one is how much does Glory owe the APL in loans? 
I ain't tackling that one. Um, <laughs> answers on a postcard. Uh, and, and maybe maybe care care of um, Tony Sager for glory. Uh, the last one is it's a different it's a different tweet, so we won't bundle them all together. But it is around around Tony Sage. Do you guys uh, and maybe Dave might know from conversations with the club just in general? Do you guys know how Sage really feels about the future of the club and the league? Uh, well, um, I'll go first. Um, I haven't really had any of those conversations with anyone from the club, so I would be unable to answer. Like, like pretty much the only time I see Sage on a game day is I will walk past him briefly. Like, if I'm at a women's game, I will walk past the corporate areas to go and sit with my mates who are in the grandstand, and I just walk past Tony, and he just acknowledges me. We might shake hands, and that's pretty much it. And then I go off and I sit with my mates. Uh, yes, as a fan, do you, do you have any um, concerns, or do the, the fans in general have any concerns about the the future um, of the of the club and the league with the way things have been? I know there's been a lot of money lost with COVID. We've had the stadium debacle, um, and you've mentioned about re- rebuilding uh, these bridges, which is great, and it definitely needs to happen. But are there any concerns about the direction that we're all headed in? I suppose. Um, yeah, I think there's always been concerns, like certainly from what gets posted on social media. I think, you know, there's quite a number of fans that are actively involved with the support of Perth Glory, be they in, you know, the Glory Shed or GFU or Shed End. There's always people that have got, um, like, you know, concerns with the money coming into the club and those sorts of areas. So, yeah, there is concerns. And I think it's I think it's fair to say there has been for a while. I think Tony would be one of the first to, to admit that. And he's come out openly and said, look, I'm I'm close to selling the club. Maybe they're threats, maybe they're promises, I don't know. But, I mean, this has been ongoing for a while. We went through the, um, uh, you know, the cryptocurrency saga and, and everything else. And then there was, uh, there was owners coming in and then they weren't coming in. So, I mean, this has been ongoing for a while. And I think it, I think it is concerning um, that there, that there is no legitimate final backing and, and no plan to try and, I guess, put forward some kind of financial sustainability within the club. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last one for me, and then we can get back to the, uh, the pre- predetermined agenda. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a jokey one, but it also has a bit more of a serious point to underlying, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably take it to Dave. It says, um, what, are, what are your thoughts on a Perth and Wellington distance derby grand final in Sydney? Now, <laughs> oh, the way I will... I will position that though Dave is the thing from Danny Townsend is he's talked about a festival of football so it'd be a week long thing where you know you potentially have the women's grand final which could or could not include glory Um, you could have uh, the all-stars game Um, you could have a awards night a load of random musicians that no one cares about it could be all sorts of things going on given that you might have say two weeks notice um, how many or how how keen do you think Glory's active supporters would be if, for example, they made only the men or women's grand final to travel to Sydney for a week, including flights, accommodation and everything else for a festival of football? Do you think there's much appetite for that? Or is it just a case of, I want to go watch my team in the final and get home? Um, I would say that it would be the latter. I think there would be a lot of people from Perth with how expensive flights are and, you know, with a week's accommodation. I think most people from Perth would probably be looking to fly over for the men's or women's grand final, like, you know, whether that was on the Saturday or the Sunday, 
I yeah, I think you'd just be looking at people flying in and flying out the game as opposed to going for the festival. And I think I'm probably right in saying, Dave, I mean, even just going back to 2012, it was a matter of get to the pub the night before, get an eyeful, have a sing-song, wake up the next morning, go to the game, have a sing-song with your mates and then jump on the plane home. And it was the greatest time of our lives. And this is what I get annoyed about because nobody wants a festival of football. Nobody wants to include the awards night. Nobody wants the bloody uh, all-star game. They want to go and see their team. They want to have a great time with their mates and they want to come home. I, I will say one thing. I probably wouldn't get the red eye back straight after the game next time. That's probably the one thing I would change. That was great. And, and would but you yeah. fly over to see Wellington? Would you fly over for a Perth Wellington grand final? Like, I'm, I'm just curious to know. Like, it's um, I'm if, if your this is, this is the, derby, the, but like this is the other thing for me. If it was the first time, I probably would. But if Glory made the grand final the year after again. I'd be less reluctant to go. Um, yeah. And that's where I think that the um, the saturation comes in, right? That you might get the hype for the first year, but what happens if it's two non-Sydney teams the first year, the second year, and the third year? By the time you get to the third year, how many people in New South Wales are going to care about the third grand final mm-hmm. where there's nobody with no skin in the game? What happens if the three of the grand finals are Perth and Wellington and nobody travels for by the time you get to the third one because of... Just, just as, as Dave outlined, the cost of, of mm. travel and accommodation and everything else. So that's where I think they're setting them up for a, a, a fall a little bit, that if a New South Wales or a Sydney team doesn't get to the grand final, they're in a bit of trouble. Um, but I, I, I say this and I'm completely opposed to the decision, but would I, would I go on the piss for the weekend to watch Glory in a grand final in Sydney? I probably would, um, but I wouldn't be going for a festival of football. Mm. Um, that's where I'm, I think they're a little bit misguided and deluded about what the appetite <laughs> is for people out there. Um, the All-Star game doesn't appeal to me in the slightest unless maybe they were playing against a team I followed. Um, but again, it's probably not enough for me to go. So, yeah, there's very little appeal as far as I'm concerned outside of the, the grand final um, for the trip. And part of the fun as Blaine said is is taking those stuff right in the Monday off work or whatever it may be and going on a three day bender and then dying for a week afterwards. I wouldn't say fun, but uh, especially as you start to get older, mate. But uh, yeah, you know, ten um, years ago it was fun. <laughs> yeah, ten years ago when you could do it, and it's um, I think someone pulled me up on it the other day when this all happened. Um, my boy obviously loves it, and you know, if Corey made the grand final, he'd want to go. But it's not even school holidays or anything during that period as well. So that kind of like affects all the families that would want to go in terms of do you pull your kids out of school? Can you take a whole week off at school? Does my boy give a shit about the All Stars? Probably not. The, like if I say, oh, we're going to go to an, an awards night, he's like, yeah, cool. Like, there's all these things that you're trying to engage all the youth and the families and you know the people that you need to start bringing into the game that have been watching the World Cup. Like my boy, who's five, has been getting up, you know, to watch the World Cup. You know, to, you know, the players play, and they're the people you want to be engaging in this period. So. Um, they haven't really thought about that process either. And who's going to take a week off work just to go to these all little minuscule events in between? Mm. Um, I probably wouldn't. Um, and, you know, it's Sydney is what, a five-hour flight for us from over here, is it? Five yeah, hours four, roughly? Four, yeah. Yeah, four and a half, five. Longer so on the way. Longer Long on the way back. Mm. I remember that one. Yeah. So, you know, look, if I lived um, back in Melbourne, I probably wouldn't complain as much. I'd be like, okay, whatever. It's, a, it's an hour and a half flight. You you could drive if you wanted to. But I think it's very unfair and unjust for, yeah, definitely the Perth fans and the Wellington um, fans to make that commitment to have to do that. And what kind? they're saying that they're going to do group packages and fan packages and discounts. What's this look like? like what is it? 
you know, are you going to throw in a free night's accommodation? Probably not. Um, so, you know, it'd have to be justified and you'd have to make an agreement with airlines that they won't skyrocket the prices because, you know, prices to fly at the moment are ridiculous and I can't imagine they'll be any cheaper during that period. Isn't that the thing, right? We're talking about 12 million over um, three years, which, you know, on average yeah. 4 million per year. Um, you start subsidizing flights, start subsidizing hotels. Uh, you start to eat into that 12 million pretty quickly. Um, yep. so, so, you know, what, what is the net profit out of, out of this venture if you do start to go into, into that sort of thing? So, yeah, there, there's definitely an issue for me. Uh, the, one, the, the thing I will ask you, because I don't think this decision, I, I, I suppose... I've, I've, I've flip-flopped it. Initially, I thought, God, this is locked in. Then after a day or so, I was like, oh, God, they're, they're going to have to go back on this now. They really they really are going to have to. There's too much uproar. Now I don't think they're going to change it, and it is going to be a thing. Um, but what what does happen from here, or, or what do you think would be an acceptable solution or outcome based on where we're at now? I would say that they've locked it in for three years. I mean, like you said, they're trying to build tradition. Three years is not a tradition. Um I don't think they'll backflip on it. The, the government's, you know, they've got a contract in place. Imagine the repercussions of breaking this, I would say. There'd be huge repercussions to the league uh, financially um, and the APL if they pull this deal. It's not going to happen. Um, the, I don't know, how, ma- how many games can you possibly walk out on? You've paid memberships. Some people paid memberships already, so they've already got your money, really. So it doesn't, I don't think it really makes a difference for this year. So, like, you can cancel your membership if they're going to refund you. Um, would you do that? I wonder if people would do that. Um, so I don't know what you can do this year, but the following year I would assume that people just, as you said, will be talking with their fans won't be, you know, getting memberships and, you know, paying to be there. So... I don't think there's anything that they can do in these three years. If it's locked in, it's locked in. Um, I would hope that after the three years, clearly it's probably not going to be as successful as they think it is. I hope it's not. And then you want to start some sort of tradition, like I said at the start, um, you know, get a every city to host rand, at random if that's what you want to do. Build every economy up in every state and every club. Get that opportunity is the only way I can see forward if that's a path or scrap finals football altogether. Oh, please, yes, please, but I'm not going to you know, do that now. I know you love that, but like, that's what I mean. Like, just scrap it all together. You know, there's something else to fight out for, and um, be it's done too with it. much. It's too much of a money spinner. What What mm. I would love to see happen, though, is I guess in three years' time, somebody like Tasmania to come with the biggest offer to host the grand final and <laughs> see if they actually accept it. Because yeah. Darwin, yeah, because th- th- that's the thing yeah, for bro. me is 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 if one of those those other places, even Perth, comes in with an offer. And it's, you know, 10 million more than Melbourne or Sydney. Would they accept it? Would they accept a three-year deal to move three grand finals in a row to Perth? Well, I think that's what they're hoping for, isn't it? Like, I think they were, um, I think Danny Townsend actually came out and said that they're hoping that after the first three years, other, um, you know, state governments might come in with improved offers. So I think that's that what the idea. Well, but as, as Donna the said, like, government it, said, the Victorian government didn't even get approached. The South Australian one didn't get approached. I mean, it was like they'd already set and locked in their brain that it was going to be Sydney. No other, you know, um, they've come out and said that they weren't even advised or given the opportunity to do so. So it's kind of like. Well, this, the balance there? this comes back to the dodgy nature about this and due process and proper governance that I've been banging on about because let's face it, if we had proper governance and due process, we wouldn't have come to this decision. 
That, that's the that's the that, that's the bigger picture that I'm seeing at the moment. I don't think there really is anything. I think it's locked in. I think it's it's all going to yeah. be about it's, it's all going to be about apologising and plenty of goodwill and following through on things like you know getting the fans involved, having fan reps at boards, having a full almost a full restructure. I mean, how do we have a twelve team competition with only five represented? It doesn't make any sense at all. It, it it's absolutely baffling. And as I said, you'd like to think that if all of these were in play to begin with. We wouldn't be having this chat. We'd be sitting around watching Newcastle Brisbane at the moment and, and talking about the football. I think, as um, Neil said earlier, um, I think your fan representation starts at the club level, and then if the club feels that the fans have got legitimate concerns, they can then take those concerns to the APL board and say, "This is what our fans are telling us. This is what we feel you guys need to fix or work on." Definitely, he's right. That's right. That's that's the way it needs to work, and the club needs to recognise that um, that they, these people actually care, and they know what they're talking about. So use them. You yeah. know, there, there's a lot of inf- a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience out there. You should be looking to utilise these people. Uh, and I just wanted to say uh, as well, there is no, I guess there's no supporters federation as such at the moment. Um, I just want to point people towards the direction of the Australian Football Fan Federation. Now, this, I was approached the other day uh, about this, and this all came from a group of pretty passionate kind of fans all around Australia. They got together with people like Adam Peacock and Mark Bosnich that fought against those uh, innocent fan bands back in 2015. So they've kind of come together again, and uh, there's a Facebook page. It's a bit of a working group at the moment but I think this is probably a real uh, initial step but an important step in trying to get that uh, I guess representation and having those those mass numbers and I guess the information going out to the masses through one particular channel so I think it's a, a good step in the in the right direction on that on that side of things is that something that you'd like to see um, Dave I do think it's beneficial for the league to have the various supporter groups you know um, getting together to see how they can improve um, like the fans' relationships with the clubs, because you know, I you know, I don't believe that it's just down to one supporter group to try and fix everything. It's up to every supporter group to come together and work out how they can improve relations with their club. Uh, just on that, is that do we think that's something the APL actually wants? Um, you know, united we conquer or if it's a divide, whatever, yeah. United We Stand, or whatever the whole thing is, whatever the phrase is, you know what I'm getting <laughs> yep, at. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> is that what the ATL wants, where it's a really strong body of support all pulling in the right direction, and they have a lot, lot, they're very opinionated and have, have a, a, a lot more, I guess, sway when it comes to decisions that the APL don't necessarily agree with. They want to do their own thing. So I'm just curious if that's something they would be open to. I know they have no choice with the players when it comes to the PFA because the PFA is, is a union, but the, the fans don't need, the, the APL doesn't have to accept a fans union. No, they don't. But I guess if the streams of communication are stronger, uh, I mean we've seen what's happening across the country with the with the uh, fan groups when the the communication isn't there. I guess it's basically just uh, you know this was started and I couldn't even tell you where this even came from. It might have been A League memes or someone like that that came out with this. And uh, I, I've got to admit I I don't remember Australian football fans being this united at least since 2015. But um, yeah, um, ever since. So if those communications and those channels of communication 
communication is stronger and uh, I think that can only be a good thing for advocating for what what the fans want to say as long as it's done in the right in the right manner and I guess uh, goes through goes through the right processes yeah um, I don't think the APL necessarily wants it but I think so long as fans are engaging with their clubs then I think that that is a step in the right direction because, like you know, as I said earlier, if you know the club feels that the fans have got legitimate concerns, they can then take those concerns to the APL, and it's not the fans going directly to the APL with a fans supporter body. It's the fans going to the club, and then the club saying, "Yes, you know, we feel that there's legitimate issues here that need to be um, raised at a board level," and then they raise them at a board level. Yeah, 100% right. I mean, club issues are club issues and league issues are another issue and they can both be attacked on, on different angles as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it is an interesting one. Uh, guys, we're pushing an hour. Anyone got any final thoughts before we wrap things up? Uh, last thing for me, I'm just I'm actually disappointed that it's happened this week because we should be in a really good spot with um, with Perth Dory, to be honest. We've mm. had a, a positive result. Uh, first game at Macedonia Park, strong crowd. I really enjoyed the all uh, A-League's all-access episode with um, the focus on Zagovic and the win over Western United. A bit disappointed we didn't get to see Tony Sage uh, tell Neil Cook anywhere to go. I was hoping that's on a cutting room floor somewhere. And footage that may never see the light of day and gutted. But generally speaking, I really enjoyed it and the whole series has been fantastic. But it's just typical that the, the, the week that Glory get covered is the week that the league goes down down the drain so um, yeah disappointed from that perspective and obviously the win as well so yeah it's taken it's taken a bit of the shine off but it's fair to say and also going to take the shine off next week's game if there's um, fan protests as well but needs must uh, Donna anything else to go out on? No nothing I think um, I share Neil's sentiments it's, um, and everyone's sentiments it's, it's kind of sucks that they've decided to do this uh, during the season, um, and it's caused such an uproar. I think there could have been a better way in handling this. And I also agree in the fact that, you know, all these clubs um, should have a representative on the board. It doesn't make any sense to me that there's only five out of the 12. And not to mention, you know, you've got the women's um, team. Canberra's not even been mentioned. Yep. You know, they play yep. Yep. Um, in the in the women's team. So even that, the implications it's going to have on them, um, if fans are going to walk out on that, I don't know how many will, but in the fact that if they do, you know, these these women that are playing are not full-time footballers, it's very rare. I think Tash, Tash Rigby, the captain here at Glory, finally said that this year was her first year where you know, this she no longer needs a full-time job, but this is, you know, she's now doing coaching and whatnot. So, you know, the implications for women's football is huge as well um, if fans don't show up and start to walk out and the repercussions to that. So I don't want the shine to go away from that either. So all I say is, um, you know, support the players, support your team. Um, if you want to walk out, you walk out. And if they don't um, and people don't, don't take it out on them, it's, it's up to, you know, it's not up to you to tell someone else what they can and can't do. So if others want to stay there and support the lads and the women, so be it. You do what you want to do and hopefully this um, shines some light to the APL and um, Danny and whoever else is making decisions back there. So, and um, yeah, hopefully the Derby is obviously going to be, it's going to be pretty crap without that atmosphere, but the Melbourne, you know, Melbourne City don't get many fans anyway, so that's probably why their players don't care whether they show up or not. Bit of a dig oh, on, cows. a bit of a dig on the way out. Hey, Dave, <laughs> anything else you'd like to say, mate? Anything else you need a spruik or uh, let the world know about? 
Um, I just hope that the APL and the fans and the clubs can sort of come to some resolution because I don't want to see this drag on for too long. You know, as as a fan, it hurts me that I'm walking out of the men's game next week. And, you know, like I just hope it doesn't drag on for too long. I hope that there can be a resolution and that the fans can ultimately get back to supporting their clubs because at the end of the day, the players are being, you know, um, unfairly impacted by this. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're all football fans and everybody would love to be at the game supporting their clubs, supporting their players. So I just hope that we can reach a resolution. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Uh, Dave, thanks very much, mate, for jumping on and giving us uh, your perspective. It's very much appreciated, buddy. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Neil, thank you. Oh, it's better. Yep, uh, Donna. Peace. Peace. That's what it should be. Very, very good. I'm going to leave you with this. I don't know who said it. I think it might have been uh, Vince Rigari in the week that if there was a World Cup for self-sabotage, Australian football would win it every single year. <laughs> so that's the way we're going to go out. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll, uh, we'll see you soon for more on the Far Post Perth.